0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony
1: Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. It's my pleasure to be with you. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Before we get into the show, I hope you'll plan to join us in Standing for Life at FRC and FRC Action's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit happening this September at the summit. You'll hear from guests like Sam Brownback, Dr. Ben Carson, Oz Guinness, Mike Huckabee, Dr. Albert Moeller, Alibeth Beth Stuckey, and many, many more. This summit will be held September 14th through the 16th at First Baptist Atlanta. Come alongside us as we let scripture guide how we pray, vote, and stand for life. Registration for the summit is open now. You can do so at prayvotestand.org slash summit for details, we look forward to seeing you there. Today on the program, the House of Representatives is poised to vote on the reconciliation bill that will, among other things, hire 87,000 more IRS agents. We'll tell you about that today. In addition, legislators in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania have called for the acting education secretary to resign over content on the website. What has these legislators outraged? We'll tell you about that today. Also, Rev. Al Sharpton says that because we can choose between heaven and hell, that means the Bible is pro-choice on abortion also. Is that true? We'll have that conversation with David Clausen from our Center for Biblical Worldview as we continue our efforts to think biblically about everything. But first, our headlines for today. Deadlines have been slow to emerge regarding the FBI raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, with Republican officials calling on both the FBI and the Attorney General for, and to give us answers on this incident that is unprecedented in U.S. history. Was the search warranted? Is it driven by politics? Is it fair to question the legitimacy of our nation's top law enforcement institutions? Joining me now to talk about this is U.S. Representative Pat Fallon, who serves on the House Armed Services Committee and Oversight Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District in the great state of Texas. Congressman Fallon, welcome back to the show.
0: Joseph, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: We've had a few days now to absorb the news of the FBI uh, <clears throat> raid of President Trump's home in Florida. What have you learned? Are you feeling better or worse about the the initial decision by the FBI?
0: Uh, really, honestly, Joseph, worse. I, I just am still so in shock about this, as you said, unprecedented move, and I Ironically, had planned uh, dinner with President Trump uh, two nights ago. It was planned for about a month. So I got to speak with him directly about it. It was him and myself and about eight other members of Congress. And, he, and he's flabbergasted as well. Uh, it's clearly a political per, uh, you know, persecution. I, I don't know why. They still haven't given us any reasons. I don't know why you have to be so uh, foggy and mysterious about this. If it's something that, as they claim, is warranted and just, then why not, to, you know, uh, unseal all of the, the documents and the warrant and et cetera, but they haven't. And it's just, I'm, I'm highly suspicious of this move by the FBI and the Department of Justice.
1: I think the point you make there, that the longer the public goes without an explanation, the more suspicious we become. Senator Josh Hawley made a similar point this week. Let's play clip one.
0: This judge seems like he's a rabid partisan from what we're learning, but I lay the real blame for this at the feet of the FBI, the DOJ, Merrick Garland,
1: and Joe Biden. Congressman Fallon, do you agree with that? You
0: know what? 100% what the senator from Missouri has said. It When you're talking about something that's never been done before, I think you should take great care, if it's truly just and not something that's politically driven, to explain to the American people and, who, I don't know, Congress as well, as to why you're doing this and show the evidence and show why you have these suspicions and why your suspicions are just. It's never happened before, and if you can rest assured, if it was Uh, Barack Obama or Bill Clinton that was a target like this? The mainstream media would be up in arms, and you could hear them from rooftops and mountaintops demanding answers.
1: And The longer we go without those answers, it almost seems that this is being designed to generate a response, because if you wanted to generate a response, I don't know what you would do differently, because it does seem obvious that when you do something that's never been done before in over 200 years of U.S. history, that if you wanted to make sure that people understood that you were being rational, that you were behaving appropriately, even if it was unprecedented, that you would take the time to explain, to calm people's nerves. But so far, mm-hmm. three days after this happened, everything that the, the, the administration is doing does seem designed to uh, elicit suspicion, I'll, I'll say. Now, you sit on the House Oversight Committee. How do you think Congress should be responding to this?
0: Well, I, as we know, with Nancy Pelosi at the helm, nothing's going to be done until we can throw the Democrats out of, our, you know, at least out, out of the majority. And come January— I've already spoken with ranking member Comer and leadership, and we are going to have hearings because we're going to get to the bottom of it. Merrick Garland is going to be called uh, you know, to testify in front of the Oversight Committee, and so is Director Ray of the FBI and anyone and everyone else that's been involved in this case. So, again, the American people can know the truth.
1: The National Archives are involved in this because the the story that we have heard is that the, the purpose of this raid was because there were documents that President Trump had that belonged at the National Archives. Is there any chance that they could speak independently and perhaps provide some answers?
0: Well, you know, we actually, the Oversight Committee has oversight directly um, over the Archives and we're the National Archives. And we are going to, again, we, we have to wait until we have a Republican majority, but we're going to also bring them. Uh, in front of the committee and ask them what's going on here. Because it, it didn't, you know, if they don't find Jimmy Hoffa's body at mar a they have some real uh, explaining to do. And we have Sandy Berger, you know, Bill Clinton's former national security advisor, being caught red-handed on camera, stuffing classified documents in his socks. And, the, and he got a pass. And this is a former president of the United States that, uh, you know, is entitled to certain uh, privileges and, and, and so to have an FBI raid on a former president's home because of possibly allegedly some documents, it just smells really fishy, Joseph, it really does.
1: And I think the American public is, is coming to that conclusion as well. Uh, but, and we will discuss this more, but there's a couple other stories I want to get with you uh, to discuss with you. Uh, Texas, of course, Governor Abbott from Texas is, is making some waves around the country because of his decision to bus immigrants to New York City and Washington, D.C. What's your reaction to those developments?
0: Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea from Governor Abbott, and I've asked and suggested that they also have express buses to go to San Francisco into Nancy Pelosi's neighborhood and Joe Biden's beach home in Delaware and Chuck Schumer's mansion in New York. I think it's rather interesting and the, I don't know, the epitome of hypocrisy to hear Mayor Bowser of Washington, D.C. get uh, several hundred migrants, maybe a few thousand to go to Washington. I don't know what the exact number is. And then she says, my God, we can't handle this. We don't have the resources. This is a humanitarian crisis. You know what, Mayor? Prime me a river. How about several million that have come into the state of Texas? And it's one of those things, it's, you know, it's kind of the limousine liberal stereotype of not in my backyard.
1: Yeah. It does seem to be that kind of a component, and it's not just Mayor Bowser. Here's what New York City uh, Mayor Eric Adams had to say about the governor of Texas.
2: I know he thinks he's uh, Clint Eastwood, but he's not. He is a anti-American governor that is really going against everything we stand for, and uh, I am going to do everything feasible to make sure Texan uh, the people of Texas realize how harmful he is to us globally. Uh, he's a global, global embarrassment uh, because this is not what we do as Americans.
1: Congressman Fallon, does sending uh, recent illegal illegal immigrants to New York City, does that make uh, Governor Abbott a global embarrassment?
0: Eric Adams is a clown. This is ridiculous. Him and his party—I mean, New York is a sanctuary city. Him and his party have been encouraging mass unlawful migration for decades. And then when they just have a slight taste of the direct consequence— of an open and immoral border, he starts using that kind of anti-American rhetoric? That is ridiculous. Let's just look at the tail of the tape, Joseph. In April of this year, we had the worst month we've ever seen at the southern border, 234,000 illegal border crossings. And that's not counting the 70 or 80,000 known gotaways where the Border Patrol saw them, but they couldn't engage them because they were overwhelmed with the people they were processing at that very moment. Only to be eclipsed in May by nearly 240,000 illegal border crossings, which then is now our historical worst that we've ever seen. That is, the last April President Trump was in office, this April was 1,258% worse. This May was 930% worse. So it's about 10 times worse under Joe Biden than it was under President Trump. President Trump turned that flood into a trickle, and then Joe Biden, with his silly, ridiculous, and uh, I mean, really, it's just stupefyingly naive policies, or maybe it's deliberate, I don't know, um, it, but sticking his head in the sand. Under Joe Biden's watch, there's been 3.9 million people that have crossed that border illegally in a year and a half. That is the entire state of Oklahoma. We are overwhelmed in Texas. Joe Biden has made every state a border state. And this is an absolute humanitarian crisis, and the fault lays at the blame of Joe Biden and the Democrats. So says the Mexican president, Overdor, by the way, and so said the, the Guatemalan president as well. They're right.
1: It does make you wonder how these blue state governors and, uh, in these cases, mayors, would feel if they lived on the border that absorbed 99 percent of the impact of our border policy. But, Congressman Fallon, one other issue I want to get to you with, because you serve on the House Armed Services Committee. It would be headlines, but for everything else going on in the country, China's posture towards Taiwan is growing increasingly aggressive. How concerned are you?
0: Extraordinarily concerned. Um, And I'll tell you this, Joseph, and a lot of Americans don't, you know, we have big, I say we have big giant moats. I joke about it. We have the Atlantic and the Pacific coast, and then a lot of people who are very Ameri-centric in our worldviews. But we have to understand what really is going on and what the communists in Beijing are trying to do with uh, our friends in Taiwan. Taiwan's an island, sits off the coast of China, about 100 miles off the coast, 23 million people. That live there. The communists, by the way, have never been in control of Taiwan. I think that's kind of ironic, considering their ironclad claims, allegedly, to the island. But what they've done, like under again under President Trump, they flew about three hundred sorties a year into the Taiwanese exclusion, defense exclusionary zone, which was you know kind of off the coast of Taiwan. They do that to probe the Taiwanese defenses, and also they're only a nation of twenty-three million to exhaust their resources. And, uh, you know, exhaust their pilots as well. Well, under Joe Biden, that went up to a thousand, that ballooned up to a thousand sorties a year. And, and if I said a day, I meant a year. And then this year, it's already been nearly 600. So, yes, I'm very concerned. And we cannot allow the, uh, the communists to cross the straits.
1: Congressman Fallon, we are out of time. Uh, we are cons- we share your concern and we will continue to track that. Thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Joseph. God bless. Take care.
1: Coming up, the House of Representatives is poised to vote on the reconciliation bill that will, among other things, hire 87,000 more IRS agents. For all of our pleasure, we'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word?
6: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Well, the FBI and former President Trump grabbed the headlines in the nation's capital this week. But we can't forget that tomorrow, before heading off to their August recess, the House of Representatives will vote on the reconciliation package the Senate passed by a Democratic Party line last weekend. For weeks, you've heard concerns about this bill, which in many ways is just repackaged components from failed legislation like Build Back Better and the Green New Deal. But this one, curiously, is being referred to as the Inflation Reduction Act. Joining me now to discuss all of its components is Kana Gonzalez, FRC's senior director of legislative affairs, and he joins me in studio. Hey, Joseph. Good to see you, Kana. Good to see you. Now, the the first thing I want to talk about is the name of this thing. We got some new uh, inflation numbers yesterday, slightly better than last month. Still, his you know year to year, uh, quite bad. Have we learned anything that leads us to suggest this will actually reduce inflation?
4: Well. Tom Brady fans, notwithstanding, this does not reduce inflation. Uh, it, is, it is, as you said, a repackaging of several things that Democrats have wanted to do for a very long time, Joseph. All of it will uh, increase, increase spending, increase the budget. And uh, no, it's not about inflation.
1: Do you think this will also be a party line vote in the House?
4: It was in the Senate, and I think that will be true uh, very likely in the House.
1: Now, the bill provides $369 billion in climate spending, right? Yes.
4: What is that? <laughs> it is a boondoggle. It is a gift. It is a grift uh, for the left. Uh, green energy companies that uh, tried and failed under Obama uh, to use taxpayer dollars to bootstrap themselves into something that was actually profitable, they're getting another, another bite at the apple.
1: Give us an example of what you mean by that.
4: Uh, there were many examples under the Obama administration where solar. Uh, solar companies, I mean, they, just
1: startups, right? Exactly, they were funding startups, right, essentially. Exactly.
4: That had no business plan except to come to Washington, hire a lot of well-paid lawyers to be their lobbyists and get government uh, funding that would, uh, that would create an industry from scratch. This is a taxpayer-created market.
1: And is it really just political handouts? You can say, hey, we're being green, and so yay, yay for us, we're going to save the planet. But then also on the backside of this, we're just helping out the people who got us elected. Is it
4: that cynical? Um, Nearly. I think there are some people who are environmentalists who really do think this will save the planet. But the idea that the government using taxpayer dollars can create an entirely new market is just laughable. It is an absurd approach to energy and, frankly, to environmental stewardship.
1: Now I understand that one of the things they want to do is like turn all of the like mail trucks into like an electric uh electric vehicle something like that Do you have other examples of what the markets that they're
4: trying to create it It is amazing if you think about what is wrong long term with the United States Postal Service their uh, problem with unfunded liabilities their yeah. unfunded pension uh, issues uh the last thing that they need to be doing is uh getting It's cash for clunkers all over again, right?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, we've we've done that before. I I suppose this is history repeating itself. But there's another $60 billion in this for environmental justice initiatives, apparently. Is that different than
4: the Green New Deal stuff? Hey, Joseph, when you got a good grift going, why would you (laughs) slow down? (laughs) I mean, it's $60 billion. got to do something with that, right? A billion here, a billion there. Uh, it's laughable. Uh, originally, the bill was supposed to cost uh, $728 billion with a last-minute uh, deal that was cut in the Senate. We don't even know for sure how much this will cost.
1: One of the worst parts of this that's gotten a lot of attention this week is the $80 billion Yes, for 87,000 new IRS agents. Now, I haven't gone to done, do the math yet to figure out how much each of those guys are going to get
4: paid. It feels like it's a good deal. But is this, I mean, what are they going to do? Well, arguably, it's a good jobs program. But in all seriousness, yeah. um, 87,000 new agents to go after my grandmother, small businesses yeah. to audit them, literally included in this deal as a way to raise revenue. The purpose for hiring 87,000 new IRS agents is to raise money for the government. And by the way, Joseph, 87,000 new agents would not fit in most college football stadiums.
1: Well, and I, you know, as a football fan, I'm actually kind of aware of the size of stadiums and how many people you can fit in a building. And I, yeah, 87,000 people, that's a lot of people. you know We only got 50 states, right? That's right. So, the, I mean, we're sending... Tens of thousands into every single state. Yes. And, and and earlier this week, I guess the projections are that they hope to recover
4: $120 billion from taxpayers, just kind of squeeze more blood out of the turnip? It would be laughable if it were not so sad. You know, I think conservatives and conservative organizations like ours yeah. know that the IRS has been weaponized in the past to come after us ideologically. Yeah. For years, this has gone on. Yeah. Uh, the IRS initially denied a Christian organization their tax-exempt status because they mentioned biblical teachings in their application. Um, there's a prior history at the IRS of targeting tax-exempt groups for additional scrutiny based on their perceived political affiliation. Yeah. Um, just two week, last week, 40 House Democrats, who will be voting on this bill tomorrow, sent a letter yeah. to the IRS commissioner asking them to look into Family Research Council's nonprofit status because right. they, they don't like our politics. Um, these kinds of misinformation and misinformation-fueled investigations of conservatives and conservative yeah. groups and of conservative individuals um, causes a lot of concern. Yeah. I was here— in 2012, Joseph, when an IRS agent anonymously, illegally leaked the donor list for the National Organization for Marriage and published it, it got published online. The news outlets that are attacking Family Research Council today were happy to publish that information online and to make sure that those donors to support marriage were targeted publicly, and an IRS agent was complicit in that. So, yes— Conservatives do have reason for concern about hiring eighty-seven thousand new agents to raise money.
1: And the timing of this is so suspicious because the the raid of Miralago by the FBI. Uh, nothing that has happened in the last week has made uh, people trust their government more. Do you think this becomes a voting issue for the public?
4: It is. It is hard to see how the loss of credibility by the government could not become a voting issue this fall, Joseph.
1: Yeah, and. And it makes me wonder who's gonna who's gonna be campaigning on the platform that as soon as I'm elected, those eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents are gonna go find another job again. Great point, right? Candy Gonzalez, thank you so much for your time and all your work. Good to be with you. Coming up next, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has seen a group of lawmakers call for the resignation of the state's acting education secretary because of content on their website. What's on the website? You'll be disturbed, and we'll tell you all about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically, one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture?
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Republican lawmakers in Pennsylvania, in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, are pressing the state's acting education secretary to do everything in his power to remove content on the education department's gender identity webpage, which they say is indoctrination, not education. And if he doesn't, they say he should resign that's what a group of 21 state lawmakers have put in on writing in writing. Here to tell us more about this is the Republican lawmaker who is leading the charge on this, Representative Stephanie Borowitz. Representative Borowitz, thanks for joining us today.
6: Of course, thanks for having me on. This is an important issue.
1: Now first, tell us about the content on the Department of Education's website that uh, you find so troubling.
6: Um, They have gender pronouns. Um, It's, you know, it's very hard to even explain all that is on there because it is a whole realm of the world that I have never experienced. Um, But I do know they have gender neutral day um, to be used in curriculum. And they're claiming that these are resources just for teachers, but, or guidance, but that's exactly what happened in COVID with this is a guidance, but it became protocol um, from the Department of Health. So this is now in the Department of Education, as they're saying resources resources as an excuse. Um, but we all know that that eventually will be used in our school systems. And so they have everything from different pronouns to uh, being called that, to gender neutral days, like I said before, um, to as young as six to eight years old.
1: Yeah. You know, it is, for those who are uninitiated, may not understand how these things work in the legislative process, where the first time they bring in some people and some experts, and they talk about how great this thing would be, and then they run a a study or a test, and then they just kind of pilot The project. And then what do you know? 24 months later, everybody comes back. The same experts talk about how wonderful it is, and pretty soon it's a mandate. So these things do um, move that direction very quickly, which is why it's appropriate to be alarmed at the beginning. But do you have any sense uh, of how these got there? How long it's been on the website? Who took the initiative to put this uh, on the Department of Education's website?
6: I am not sure on that. Uh, we are There's a dispute of how long it's been there, but it was brought to our attention through other news sources and things that were going on that it was put on there. And I think that they added a, a certain sect about the gender-neutral pronouns and all of those yeah. things that they added. And so once it was brought to my attention, I knew we had to do something, along with all the other state representatives. I know Representative Lewis said, what can we do? Um, and I said, well, we need to call for his resignation. Yeah. Um, or, you know, remove it or resign, because yeah. this, to me, is child abuse. It's indoctrination on our children. And so it, it it cannot be in our Department of Education.
1: To give people more detail about what you're referring to, you referred to the uh, Gender Neutral Day Lesson Guide uh, for Classrooms, grades 3 through 12. And that guide specifically uh, calls for students to pick two or three ways that they will reject gender stereotypes on gender neutral day. And it also asked the teachers to make specific commitments to challenge gender norms in the classroom. And why they would try to do this is interesting. Do you have any reason to think that this is happening? Have you heard reports from classrooms who are actually hosting gender neutral days?
6: You know, it's funny you say that Uh, we, it wasn't a gender neutral day, but my friend in Jefferson County, which is very conservative in Pennsylvania, just had to attend a school board meeting um, because they were allowing safe space stickers on doors of teachers that uh, it's a safe space for a trans student or a safe space for LGBTQ. Um, But, you know, he brought up a great question. Can we have safe spaces for prayer then? Um, because that's not allowed. Um, and so they were able to actually be involved in that school board meeting and to have those removed and not be on those doors of teachers and then other teachers that were then getting back that so they didn't have this support of LGBTQ. So things like that are going on. I can't speak specifically to say that there's a gender neutral day, but we see this happening. I think in Pennsylvania, because um, I'm going to try to do a press conference on this in September at the Capitol. Uh, there was parents that sued an elementary school because they were pushing this transgender um, ideology onto elementary school kids. Three moms, I believe it was.
1: And we certainly hope they are not having gender neutral day, but it's important to take action now so that that does not happen. How are parents in Pennsylvania reacting to this development in the news about what's out there, the Department of Education's website?
6: There, you know, I hate to say we're not shocked anymore with what's going on in this nation, but they're shocked. They're appalled. They keep tell me to keep fighting. Um, I've had a lot of teachers contact me that say, we do not want to teach this in our classrooms. And so that's overwhelming. Uh, I'm hearing from all of them and saying, we do not want to do this. We do not want to have to even bring this into the classroom. And so they're appalled and disgusted by it.
1: You know, Representative, there was a debate in Pennsylvania earlier this year about House Bill 1332 that would require all government run public schools to post their curriculum online where parents could easily review it. Uh, curiously, Governor Tom Wolf there vetoed that. Yeah, it seems that they're just proudly portraying uh, posting the worst stuff themselves. Does that make that legislation unnecessary?
6: Right. Uh, yeah, that was my friend Andrew Lewis's, uh, Representative Lewis's uh, legislation, and Governor Wolf did veto that. Um, yeah, they surprisingly are putting this right out there for us, but um, they're not ashamed of it, and they're willing to just try to use this for schools to use as a resource. And I also question the Department of Education Um if this is tied to federal money coming down from the lunch program with the the Biden administration, because a lot of that, there's about 20 other states that are questioning that. So is this sexual orientation ideology being pushed through the lunch program that so many schools are taking in Pennsylvania?
1: Representative Stephanie Borowitz, we are out of time. Thank you for being with us today.
6: Thank you so much. Coming up next, Al
1: Sharpton says the Bible is pro-choice. Is it true? We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us.
5: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in Futoni today. We've told you about the Pray Vote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia from September 14th to 16th, and we hope you will join us there. But in addition, if you are a high school or university student, you are invited to a special free worldview session at the Stand Summit on Friday, September 16th from 4 to 7 p.m., where we will have an introduction to worldview, why it's so important, and then a 90-minute session where you can ask anything about today's most controversial top- topics. Wrestle with questions about the harms of critical race theory, get insights onto how to address LGBT issues well. And hear how you can engage with truth in a loving way. If you've got questions, we've got answers. Register for free at online at prayvotestand.org summit or by calling 877-372-2808. We look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Now, it's not uncommon to hear politicians or others in the public eye say that while they may be personally opposed to abortion, they think it should be legal for a mother to make that decision to kill her unborn child. Many times, they'll even acknowledge that abortion goes against the teachings of their church or their own religious beliefs. Well, not Reverend Al Sharpton. In an unusual tactic recently, he claimed that the Bible is, in fact, pro-choice.
5: The Bible, if you're using this as a religious argument, the Bible is about choice. You can go to heaven or hell. There's no way the Bible said you had to go to heaven. So where do we get this theology of forcing something when the reality is that you can't even biblically base that? It's a question of choice.
1: As as Christians, how should we biblically respond to such an argument from people who are pro-abortion? And how should we respond, especially when such people claim to be Christians as well? Joining me now to discuss all of it is David Kloss, and he's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at FRC. He's joining us today from the Holy Land. David, good to see you.
3: Shalom. It's good to be with you, Joseph. Thanks for having me.
1: It's good to have you. And before we get into Reverend Sharpton's theology, tell us what you're doing in Israel and what you're learning there.
3: Yeah, have a neat opportunity to be on a CUFI, Christians United for Israel trip with some of our friends At other organizations like uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, the Heritage Foundation, First Liberty, and other groups just uh, touring uh, the biblical sites over here in Israel, uh, as well as getting security briefings, uh, learning about some of the geopolitical dynamics. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, there were some skirmishes over in the Gaza Strip. And so learning about what's going on over here so we can be better advocates for the state of Israel.
1: Yeah, and David tell us a bit about that because we know there are about three days of, of, of violence and conflict uh, down in the in the Gaza Strip we we understand that the shield worked very well there in Israel and we're thankful for that because it's undoubtedly saved a lot of lives but any sense of uh, from your on the ground perspective of what that means is it is it back to business as usual
3: from the people we've talked to yes it seems that the ceasefire is holding and and uh, uh, I think people that are monitoring the situation are optimistic uh, that the things have settled down. And it is true, Joseph, I think most Americans, we're, you know, Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, uh, can take great pride uh, that the support that America has for Israel, uh, largely funding this Iron Dome anti-missile uh, defense system, uh, has saved thousands, saved a lot of lives in this last skirmish, but over the last several years— Uh, Thousands of Israeli lives have been saved because of American technology and working uh, with our friends in the Israeli government. Uh, And so there's uh, just neat to see uh, that we're able to support our friends. You know, America has no greater ally than the state of Israel. And so being able to be here on the ground and see some of that, as well as learn more about the roots of our Christian faith, uh, very encouraging. Yeah.
1: It's a spectacular place, and, and I had a chance to be there myself last summer for the first time, and uh, it really is a life changing experience. But to the topic of the day, David uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, as he is referred to, you saw, heard him and saw him there make that argument that well, the Bible is really about choice. You can choose whether you want to go to heaven, or you can choose whether you want to want to go to hell. Therefore. Uh, the choice about abortion should be left up to the women. What's your response to that?
3: Well, you know, I think all people, Joseph, can read the Bible and understand it. Uh, as Christians, we the Holy Spirit uh, allows us to have uh, extra understanding of what the Scripture says. Um, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need a pastor to uh, understand the Bible. And when it comes to the issue of—and I say all that because it's worth noting that Al Sharpton did not go to seminary. He's not a pastor— uh, he likes to call himself a reverend. Um, he hasn't actually, you know, responsibly uh, shepherded yeah. a flock in I don't think ever. Um, but his exegesis and his take on the Bible could not be more wrong. Uh, the mm-hmm. Bible, the personhood of the unborn from cover to cover. Uh, most listeners will be familiar with Psalm 139, uh, that where the, David describes how we are fearfully and wonderfully made uh, in utero. Uh, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1 describes, is I think one of the most profound pro-life text in scripture uh, where uh, Mary and Elizabeth have a conversation. Mary, who's just a couple weeks pregnant, enters the room with Elizabeth, her relative, and uh, and Elizabeth proclaims, you know, why is the mother of my Lord, referring to Mary as a mother, even though she's only a couple weeks pregnant. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, in the womb of his mother, leaps for joy uh, because he's now in the presence of Jesus. So again, the Bible could not be more clear uh, that all people, born and unborn, are made in God's image, and to, you know, you can make arguments for abortion rights, uh, but when you bring Scripture into it, uh, you are just, you're, you're contradicting the plain reading of the text, as well as directly contradicting how Christians have interpreted Scripture for 2,000 years.
1: So, David, how are Christians supposed to deal with the issue of choice? Uh re- Al Sharpton makes much of this idea that you can choose whether you go to heaven or choose where you go to hell, which just tells us he's not a Calvinist. But how are we ought to think? I mean, we do have the ability to make choices, right, in life. Um, Why should we not conclude that because God gives us a, a will that can make moral choices, that that means he wants us to have the final authority over those kinds of choices? Why is that not true?
3: Yeah, so when it comes to religious liberty, something you and I have talked about a bunch, the Family Research Council has always advocated for religious freedom. We believe that all people should be able to follow God uh, according to the dictates of their conscience. We should be able to follow the sets of doctrines and theology that are most persuasive to us. Uh, but, you know, Joseph, when, when, what Al Sharpton is doing he, later on in that interview, he actually said that you do not make laws to compel people. Well, that's actually what we do with laws. Uh, think about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is laying down very clear moral directives. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Those are clear laws that are from the Bible telling us God's point of view on how we ought to live, things we should do, things we should not do. And so this this idea that the Bible has no moral imperatives uh, for us to direct our lives, that's not true at all. So, yes, no one can force you to follow Christ. Uh, Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away when he wouldn't want to follow Jesus, Uh, But this idea, again, that the Bible uh, allows this abortion to kind of be a a jump ball kind of issue that it really doesn't have anything to say on it uh, is a flat contradiction of the plain meaning of the text. And no Christian scholar in the history of the church uh, would Al Sharpton be able to quote to, to back him up on this.
1: And, and I think you make an, a, a, an important point there, and, and we can draw a line on this, because God does give us minds, and, and he expects us to use those minds. Um, but God, God has also revealed to us what is right and what is wrong in, in many cases. And with respect to issues that God has not spoken to, then he expects us to use that judgment. And Paul actually gives us a, a great deal of instruction for how to— answer, how to handle issues within the church where there is not a clear biblical directive. But where there is a clear biblical directive, uh, we do not have the liberty to just fill in the gaps or to just change what we, we the change scripture to say what we wish it would say and to, re, you know, with respect to things like my body, my choice. Uh, Christians don't get to say my body, my choice, because Scripture tells us that it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the one who died and gave himself for me. So that's the Christian view of the body. It is, in fact, not my body. Therefore, it is not my choice. When you say it's my body and my choice, you're saying things about yourself and your identity and your existence that really isn't supported by Scripture, is it?
3: No, you're absolutely right. And especially as Christians, which it's important to realize the argument that Al Sharpton's making, he's claiming as a Christian, uh, he, he's taking on the name of Christ. And if you do that, you do need to go to the Bible to see if your policy preferences and the things you're espousing line up with scripture. And as, as a Christian on the my body, my choice, yeah, you know, we've been bought with a price. Uh, therefore, glorify God with your body is what Paul says. And let's whenever we talk about abortion, we need to remember what we're talking about, Joseph, which is... Abortion is the intentional taking of innocent life. It is murder. Um, Ten Commandments talks about this. Moses wrote wrote this down. And again, other texts we could point to that, again, as as Christians, we know that we are bought with a price. But In the context of abortion, we need to realize we're talking about an innocent human being made in God's image that has inherent value and dignity. And so part of me just, you know, hear Al Sharpton say what he says. And I just want to say, how dare you uh, invoke scripture uh, to do something that is antithetical to what the Bible teaches.
1: David, another subject I want to get with you on is legislative. There's actually a, a connection here that will develop, but Senate Bill 107 out of the great state of California, it's threat, a real significant threat to parental rights, and it declares that the state uh, could declare— a temporary emergency if a child is denied, is denied quote-unquote, gender-affirming care. And of course, what they mean by that is, is cross-sex hormones and uh, plastic surgery to kind of change the appearance of your body. Now, it would give the state custody over a child if the parents don't support their child's decision to do that. Now, I have a reaction to this as a parent that's Kind of guttural, but what's the biblical idea to biblical response to this idea that parents, uh, that the state can take a t- custody of a child if they don't like what the parent is doing?
3: Yeah, it's, it's patently unbiblical. You know, Joseph, just, just a couple of moments ago, I actually called our good friend Jonathan Keller at the uh, California Family Council. And I know at their website, uh, californiafamily.org, they have a lot of resources on this uh, topic because it's in their backyard. Um, and, and this bill is just a disaster. It, and what's important to note is this bill, you know, a lot of stuff that happens in California, we can say, oh, well, if it's in California, it won't affect us. Uh, what California's in this bill is doing is saying any child who comes from out of state, even if they brought brought to the state illegally, um, they can then, the, the parent will lose their rights temporarily uh, so the child can get gender-affirming care, so-called gender-affirming care. To your point, The Bible is clear that it, Deuteronomy 6, uh, that it is a parent's responsibility to raise up their child, to teach their child. Uh, The the primary responsibility of a parent is to be the disciple maker of their child, uh, no matter what that child's going through. And and the idea that the estate would allow a court to take a parent's rights away from them uh, because they disagree with a child wanting to, young children permanently uh, scarring and injuring their bodies. Uh, This is unconscionable Uh, as Christians. It's unbiblical. And it's important to realize this won't just stay in California. So we need to be aware of this.
1: And from a biblical perspective, uh, an important way for us to think about this is God created different institutions. He created the state, uh, and it has an important uh, biblical role. He created the family, and he created the church. And each of those institutions and each of those spheres, God intended to exist and operate under his ultimate authority. But what we see is when God is removed from that equation and you no longer have the family and the church and the state operating under the authority of God, Something tries to fill that void, and what we see is that government ends up trying to become the supreme authority over the family and over the church, and it's an imbalance from the way God intended the created order to be, where he said, no, this is a parental decision, and now you have the state uh, getting outside of its proper jurisdiction, which is just one of the many reasons why parents need to be uh, concerned with this. But I want to hear, I want to play here. Uh, Erin Friday is a California attorney and a mother of a formerly trans child. Here's her description of the bill.
5: This law codifies kidnapping and offers protections to a non-custodial parent who absconds with the child to California in order to get gender interventions in contravention of an out-of-state order or the custodial parent's wishes Even more terrifying, this law encourages minors to run away to their parents if their parents won't consent. It is foolhardy to think that kids are not being encouraged to run away.
1: David Clawson, what should we be doing?
3: She's absolutely right. I have the bill in front of me, and just the sentence that she's referring to actually says the bill would authorize a court to take temporary jurisdiction because a child has been unable to obtain gender-affirming health care. That is— She's absolutely right, Joseph. And again, this is outrageous. Um, and to your point on steer sovereignty, this is a concept Abraham Kuyper developed in the previous century. And we've seen this. We saw it first with COVID, the government telling churches what they could and could not do. Yeah. Now they're doing it with families telling them what they can and cannot do. This is a big deal yeah. that we need to be paying attention to.
1: And it's also an exercise of emergency authority. We've seen a lot of COVID emergency authority. We've seen recently the White House threaten to declare a climate emergency so they can accomplish things through executive action they couldn't do legislatively. We've seen them want to declare a health care state of emergency with respect to abortion because they can't do things that they want with respect to abortion so they want to be able to do it through emergency powers. And here they would declare it an emergency if a child is not able to to, uh, mutilate their body in a way that helps them, uh, at least temporarily, feel better emotionally. We know it doesn't help long term. But there's a lot going on here. We've got to be uh, diligent and disciplined and understand where it's coming from. David Clausen, thanks for taking some time away from the Holy Land to be with us.
3: Thank you, Joseph. And
1: friends, we thank you, as always, for joining us here on Washington Watch. These are interesting times, but they are good times, and we are here for a reason. Let's continue to pray that God will show us what that reason is. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else.